podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, I'm Sai and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. This is episode number 14 of the Danny Batten MMA show. Here at Podcast Ace Podcast Nation, we've got all sorts of shows on all sorts of subjects, from MMA to films and TV to wrestling to boxing, films, TV. I've just repeated myself, loads of stuff, anything you could think of. <laughs> we have a live show, football every Monday, 7.30. It's live on Facebook, YouTube. And Periscope now. We also have shows uh, unscripted and uncensored where you, the people, decide the questions and the talking points for the guests. We've had all sorts of guests on there from UFC fighters to cage warriors fighters to footballers to actors, uh, boxers, fashion label designers, just various different people in the hands of the people. We also recently dropped a new series which is called My Story. The first episode was with former England cricketer, a controversial man in many ways, very charismatic and very enjoyable to speak to, Chris Lewis. Uh, episode two was former Wales international footballer, Cardiff City footballer, former Arsenal footballer, Reese Weston, which was a fantastic show. Uh, Reese was a very funny guy and uh, it was really interesting to hear some of the stories uh, that he came out with, especially some uh, about his, uh, his when on Wales duty and uh, featuring casinos and bars and all sorts of things. Very interesting. And uh, episode number three, which is going to drop, this is our Wednesday, so today is Wednesday. Welcome. And uh, this, on Thursday, no, Sunday, we will have my story, episode number three, with former WBO world champion boxer, Welsh icon, Mr. Robbie Regan, which was a really, really interesting show. And that, my, my friends, is an exceptional boxer in his time. And uh, as I say, a world champion. But today we are talking uh, MMA, no boxing on today's show, um, because of the, that's what the people wanted. We've, um, While we're in a quiet period of boxing and MMA current events, we're going back and talking some old events. So uh, we're currently going through the UFCs. We're on UFC 2 this week. And then each week we'll ask in you, the people, to send in the classic MMA or boxing bouts for us to also talk. Uh, this week we are talking Royler Gracie versus... Uh, I'm going to make sure I pronounce his first name right. Uh, I do apologise. I haven't got his first name there. I think it's Katash Kakash. I'm going to try. Uh, it's Royla Gracie versus Sakuraba um, from Pride Eight, which was a very, very interesting fight. And uh, and then we're going to go on to UFC number two, which even though they were six months apart from UFC number one, there was a big difference in the standard of co competitors, which we'll discuss. And uh, these are just incredible to watch compared to today's mixed martial arts. Not just the the technique and the quality difference, but things like groin strikes and hair pulling and kicks and knees on the ground and 
other such things. No referee stoppages at this point. Um, so it's basically till to the death almost in, in you know, metaphorically speaking. It's uh, it's quite brutal at times, but it's it's you can't take your eyes off it for a second, I've got to say. Um, and joining me to talk all of this and more is former Cage Warriors champion, British MMA legend, Mr. Danny Batten. Welcome, my friend. How are you? Yeah, so I'm doing good. I'm really yeah. relishing and enjoying these retro moments. I know. you got like a twinkle in your eye watching all these uh, <laughs> the gold, especially with the Royce Gracie dominating last week's uh, tournament. Yeah. Yep. It was like Christmas for you, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, uh, we're going to get into the, the Royler Gracie uh, versus Sakuraba match from Friday 1st. Um, but just before we do that, I'd just like to say uh, thank you for the to sponsor of today's show and the ongoing sponsor of the channel. It's uh, Away Day Apparel. Away Day Apparel is a group of casually obsessed football fans who are looking to bring something different to the wardrobe of like-minded people. They are really starting to make their mark on the casual scene and the terraces everywhere. They've um, got some really, really exciting things happening in 2020. And then not even a global pandemic is going to slow those plans down. Um, they've got new stuff all the time. They've just released new T-shirts. And uh, I highly recommend checking them out. You go to their website, awaydayapparel.co.uk. You'll see all their stuff. Um, you can give them a follow on Twitter at awaydayapparel or Instagram at awayday underscore apparel. And especially for viewers and listeners of the Ace Podcast Nation, if you use the code AA Podcast Nation, all in lowercase, you can get 10% off all orders. 10% AA Podcast Nation, all in lowercase. And we thank them and Alan for sponsoring the show and their ongoing support. Uh, he's been, they've been a massive help to, to me personally and, and as a channel, helping us secure guests and just generally supporting us as we continue to try and grow our different shows and series. And uh, Speaking of that, I'd also like to say thank you to everyone who, uh, who downloaded or viewed last week's show. Last week's Danny Batten show was the most downloaded Danny Batten show of all time. Other, really? than, other than Danny Batten's Unscripted and Uncensored, which is still like miles ahead because that was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It was just ridiculous. I'm sure Danny just downloaded it like a thousand times himself <laughs> to watch it. That's what it was. <laughs> That's what it was. But uh, yeah, so how's your week been, mate? Yeah, yeah, good. I mean, I, I'm, I've still been effectively going to work in terms of um, staying overnight at the gym, make sure no one goes in and takes anything. Um, some gyms in our area have been broken into. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, and I'm able to get some, some bits done while I'm in there. Obviously, I'm there on my own. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm staying with the government guidelines. Um, yeah, so it's just very much home life. I work on my own for a good number of hours and um, back home again and um, just trying to entertain myself and sort of keep myself fit. I did take myself on my, you know, one, one fitness run a day that you're allowed. Um, I actually took myself out on a bike rather than a run. But, um, yeah, so that was kind of nice to get out now. The weather's warming up. Yeah, it's a good week, yes. all in all. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I think I've said this until I'm blue in the face. Like last weekend, I was struggling a little bit, um, and from about Monday onwards, I felt a lot better. And this week, I've been okay. 
Um, just it's difficult now. Like my my kids, I think they starting they found it a bit harder this week. I think mm. particularly the last couple of days. Yeah. Um, especially the ones who play football, the two boys who play football, it's starting to hit them that they haven't played. Like I think initially that week or two off from football because they play so much was probably like a bit of a oh it's, you know a nice, nice break. But like now they're starting to. I think it's starting to get a bit irritating for him, especially like the older one is 15. He's doing GCSE PE and he's doing BTEC sport at the same time. He does academy football and he, you know, he's very, very fit and active and he's got ADHD, which means mm. he is so used to doing like almost so much exercise till he can't, you know, till he's just got to go to sleep. Right. That he's just used to being so active. So I think he's finding it difficult. He's, you know, he's trying very hard to, occupy his time and not get frustrated but you know it's difficult now and plus it doesn't yeah. help he, he hasn't seen his girlfriend for about a month which i think mm. you know it's his own <laughs> set of problems as a 15 year old but there we go but yeah other than that you know it is it, it is what it is what does really uh to 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 turn a phrase from andy campbell really boil my piss is when i see people pictures of thousands of people in in parks, having picnics yeah. and barbecues, that really, really, really pisses me off. Because, yeah. like, I'm thinking, well, I'm sat at home with my wife, my three kids, and my dog. Mm. You know, they'd all they'd all love to go for a, to the park for a barbecue. Yeah. You know, I, do you know what my kids would give to go and run around in a field, mm. kick a ball around and stuff? But we're not mm. because that's the recommended yeah. stuff. It's you know, they're saying crazy. they. Stay home unless you have to go and get shopping or pharmacy. Mm. And and if you can work from home, work from home. If you're not yeah. a key worker, then it's like, come on. And these people who are not sticking to it, they're the ones who are going to make mean that eventually the military will be on the street enforcing it. And then they'll probably yeah, be the I'm, same moaning about that's that. That's the thing, really. And then, then there'll be even more uproar because, uh, you know, there'll be, oh, yeah. you know, obviously anger in having military involved or the police throwing their weight around even more but what can you do if, if the people ain't doing what needs to be done to try to eradicate the issue to hand um, something's got to be They've stepped up but it is really frustrating because no one's going to get back to work and at the end of the day what's yeah. happening to the economy the people are going to have to pay for in the long run so you know yeah. they, they, they might and see really... it as all fun and games being off work at the minute but it ain't going to be good yeah, and those mortgage holidays and interest holidays and all these nice mm. things that these banks and companies are doing now, they ain't going to last forever. No, they're you not. Know, they might do it for mm. a couple of months, but they ain't going to do it indefinitely until everything no. goes back to normal. Um, mm. and, and ultimately, the more people stick to the guidelines and stay home, the quicker mm. it will be over. Yeah. As frustrating as it can be, that's just the way it is. But um, yeah. anyway, let's 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 uh, let's take our mind off the the madness that is 2020 and the world. Um, so the fight of the week for us was uh, Royla Gracie versus Sakuraba from Pride Eight, mm. which was a very very interesting fight. Um, and I had not seen this fight before. Um, mm. I knew I like I know the story and I knew the story of the the Gracies versus Sakuraba and um, Takada, 
you know, and the the, the kind of ongoing almost feud between mm. uh, Hicks and Gracie and Royce Gracie and Royla Gracie and yeah. Sakuraba. They had this big kind of, you know, feud, which obviously the Sakuraba went by the nickname uh, the Gracie Hunter eventually That's after right. actually, you know, after this fight. Um, yeah. But it was fascinating to watch this fight for the first time because yeah. it didn't go like I thought it was going to go. The first minute did. I was like, oh, he's going to do it. You know, this is going to be the same as UFC 1 was last week yeah. where, you know, the Royce Gracie was just taking people to the ground. And then, mm. you know, it's game. once that's the case, once he's got you in his arms, it's kind of like game over. But mm. that didn't happen here. No, I mean, there's a few, you know, additional reasons why it was different from the early UFCs um, with the Gracies getting it to the ground. Um, you know, one is, you know, Sakuraba's clearly good on the ground. He, he can, you know, handle himself against, you know, pretty much all levels in, in ground situations. And also is a pretty efficient, aggressive, creative striker as well. Um, and then to top it all off, he's got a considerable weight advantage as well and height advantage over Hoyler. And I think all these things... Um, just become too much. You know, this is seven years after UFC kickstarted. So, you know, it's had seven years of evolution. You, you were saying how you felt that there was a considerable difference between USC 1 and USC 2, which was a matter of months. Well, this is seven years of evolution. And um, Sakuraba was the, the best of that evolution at the time. Um, and giving away that weight advantage, giving away skill set advantage uh, was just steps too much. I remember watching this, you know, um, you know, when it happened. Um and I was still a little bit in the delusion of, you know, the Graces were always going to win, no matter what. Um but I think this is a wake up. I think call. I think they were as well in fairness. Fairness. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think they a lot were. of people was. Yeah. But um yeah, I think this was the first realization that hey, weight really does matter. Um and being well rounded absolutely matters. Um the problem Hoyler had in this fight was that he was smaller, weaker. Um, yes, okay, he could probably match Sakuraba on the ground in some sorts, but he doesn't have the wrestling capabilities to get in there in a in a positive position. You know, he was unable to enter in and get Sakuraba on his back um, and actually pressurize the pace and situation to, to open up opportunities. Um, yeah, he just he looked out of his depth. It's a very uncomfortable um, fight to watch. Uh, yeah, I really felt for Hoyler. It was just it was just a really horrible experience for him. It, it looked brutal. It was it was it was there was points in the fight which were quite uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. Um, so I was going to ask you, a friend of the show, John uh, Johnny Wishbone asked, "Do you think do you rate uh, Sakuraba as one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time?" Uh, yeah, I mean, what you have to do is you have to do it from era to era and how they was dominant and, and you know, for the time that they that they, they were their most effective. And, yeah, I think for the fact of he's, he was so creative uh, with the way that he, he struck and particularly with the way that he did the submissions. I mean, he was catching people in submissions from, from the feet by giving up his back standing, which is really creative and really unusual. Um, you know, if... For, for that for that aspect really at the time for for his era um yeah he he was one of the one of the greatest at, at, that, that that's been um he, he just brought so much attention 
and um, and you really did believe that he was unbeatable, uh, you know, yeah. for, a, for a set period, as you do with fighters. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed watching him. Um, do you think you know, he was one of the first um, kind of all-rounded MMA fighters whereby he could do a bit of grappling, his striking uh, was no, up to his strength? No, there was well-rounded fighters, you know, at this time and, and years before as well. There, there have been well-rounded fighters. Um, but I think he was the first well-rounded fighter that was thinking out of the box of his approach to go about his submissions and thinking out of the box for his approach to do takedowns, um, out of the box for his striking, and, and also out of the box in terms of switching it up for striking into the ground uh, you know, or into the wrestling. He just was doing things that people didn't expect, and I think that's why he was a puzzle that took a little longer to, to figure out. Um, yeah, he was just so, so great to watch. Uh, I really enjoyed all these fights that he did with the Graces. Um, and not just the Graces as well. He had great fights with Mandalay Silva as well. Because um, most of the time he was giving up weight to opponents. It, quite often he was mm. a smaller man. Um, he really was a warrior in every sense of the word. Um, but in this case, which was an unusual um, situation for him, he's actually fighting someone smaller than him. Um, it was almost like uh, I got a sense that Sakuraba was almost playing with Hoyler a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah it was I, almost I like, think so. Yeah, it was like he knew he could put his foot down and get this out of the way. But he respected Hoyler enough to know, look, if he opens up too much, he could open himself up for a bit of trouble. So he certainly weren't rushing. He had a lot of time on the clock. Um, yeah. And I, I, he wasn't taking in any chances. But, you know, it's not one of those fights that I would enjoy watching back time and time again, because once you watched it a couple of times, you kind of know there's long periods of the same going on. Um, you know, but like we, you know, we say, you've got what you've got in front of you. Um, it was interesting to see his approach. Um, he just stayed out of Hoyler's main game set, which is the ground. Um, you know, Hoyler had to shoot in. We knew he was going to have to shoot in. He couldn't stand and strike with a bigger man, a more skillful man. Um, but Hoyler's wrestling really wasn't up to much. Um, and you saw him sitting into a, a one hooks guard, first of all. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, Sakuraba was choosing to, to have both hands out, out uh, to create base. I had this very similar situation against uh, Augusta Frota where he's using one and two hooks guard on me. And, um, and one of the things that, you know, I, I've known to do is, is to hold round uh, one of the hooked, hooks that the guy has on your legs. You hold round with your arm. And then you should strike with the other arm. And what that does is, instead of putting your hand down as base, which enables him to lift your hips up, which makes a hooks guard potentially dangerous, if you hold behind the knee, it helps sit your bum on your heels and it helps okay. anchor your hips. So it just gives you base and balance. And with the other arm, because you're not having to post it down, because you're not having your li hips lifted, you're able to, to strike with the other hand. Um, it did surprise me that Sakuraba wasn't choosing to do that. Um, but I think it's because they weren't five minute round, they were 15 minute rounds. So he knew he had time. Um, I think he was just feeling out what kind of strength Hoyler had. Um, I think that's why perhaps he was cho choosing to do that. But um, Hoyler was never looking like he was going to sweep him, which is one of the main threats from a hooks guard situation. He just played it really, really safe down there. Um, and when he got to the feet, we started to see a real pattern. Uh, a real main theme of the fight, which was 
um, Hoyler's undoing um, regards getting behind in, in, in the fight. And that was being kicked at the legs. Um, he was sat in a butt scoop position for much of the, 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 the rounds, trying to utilize some kicks uh, to the legs of Sakuraba. But of course, you know, if you're on your ground, you're not going to have much in terms of consequence you know, kicking up at, a, up at a guy unless you can get access to his head, which Sakuraba was way too savvy for. And, and you just saw these brutal leg kicks going in. Uh, they were landing on the thigh, landed on the shin. And a couple of times you see Hoyler wincing. Clearly they were troubling him, but respects to Hoyler. He, he really toughed it out. He never looked like he was, um, he, he was going to turn and run from the situation. He, he was sucking it up. Um, still, I, he, I think he thought he could still win. And that's that's the yeah you know that's the thing with the Gracies is is you do feel that even with all the damage he took to those legs in those fifteen minute rounds, where his legs inside mm. and out were just bruised and cut, yeah he still felt that if he could get hold of him, he could tap him out you know quite quickly. But um, what kind of I found a little bit eye opening is like, like I said you had that first minute where Gracie did get a hold of him and got him to the floor. But Sakuraba yeah. used his strength to get up. And then after that, yeah. he never got really a hold of him again. And yeah. when he was in this butt scoop position and uh, and Sakuraba was, you know, really taking his time, picking his kicks, connecting. It's the first time I've ever seen uh, an MMA fighter react so animated to a strike. Yeah. Whereby a couple of them, where he got caught on the shin or the inside of the mm -hmm. knee, he was like grabbing it in pain like you don't yeah. see that because fighters don't want to show as you know obviously like mm -hmm. fighters don't want to show that that something's yeah. hurt them because it gives your opponent a target to you know to go after more but yeah that was noticeable and obviously as the as the first round went on um and, and in the second round uh royler gracie even resorted to trying to goad sakuraba into coming down to him yeah that's um, right he was talking in there he, he was trying to get you know he was trying to irritate him to make him you know because you know i think you i would assume you'd agree but i would i in my opinion all fighters have got a certain level of ego and sometimes they fall into that trap of trying mm. to match their opponent with what suits them to yeah, prove yeah. you know whether you know if i'm a jujitsu guy and the other guy's a striker and he says or oh, you'll never beat me striking they often mm -hmm. will try and instead of playing, you know, doing their strength, they'll try and outstrike them and they get caught or, yeah. you know, or vice versa. Um, but Sakuraba was having none of it. He just destroyed, destroyed his legs. Yeah, but then yeah. to be fair to him, as soon as that buzzer went for the end of the round, up he got, walked to his, walked to his, yeah, uh, his yeah. corner, I was didn't show it. Quite, quite impressed that he, you know, he wasn't limping at all. Um, and you've got to bear in mind as well, you know, that these guys clearly don't strike any, uh, sorry, sorry, don't train any striking in any major way. No. Um, so conditioning the legs and things like that, I'd be very surprised if any of that went on in his training camp. So, you know, respect to him, you know, it, it, it did suck it up and, um, and, and walk it off quite well, I, I've got to say, when he went back to that corner. But, but towards the end of that round, you started seeing Sakuraba getting more and more confident, trying to hunt for that head kick. So with a grounded situation where you've got one person stood up and one person down, you know, you've got two ways to play it. And the way Hoyler was playing it, if it was going to be in the modern game and you're sat on your bum with your back off, you're normally look, looking to scoot back up. 
Although, to be honest, even these days, um, you know, a ref would halt the bout and, and stand the fighter up um, anyways. Yeah. Um, but normally you'd be up off your bum when the person's standing because you're trying to get back to your feet. But Hoyler was sort of like not wanting to get back up to his feet because he knew that wasn't going to get him anywhere. No. Um, but I don't think it was doing him any favours um, being sat on his bum. Um, because if you think about it, if you're sat on your bum on the ground situation and you're trying to attack someone who's in a, a, a stood position, um, you want to try to open up many uh, attacking opportunities possible. So you know, you'd look to want to kick the legs, the body, and possibly up kick to the head. You can't do that while you're sat on your bum on the ground. You'd have to be on your back. But of course, if you're on your back, that hampers your, your ground game somewhat. If Sakuraba did want to engage, you're already down on your back and you've not got a loaded uh, potential guard situation there. So he's kind of in a difficult situation. Um, I think if he was going to choose to try to stay on the ground, I think it would have been better for him to play on his back and he would have been able to uh, defend those leg kicks a little bit better. Because when you're on your back and someone's stood and they're kicking at your legs, really you want to be using the flat of your foot to block on the shin to, so it don't get access to the thigh and don't make that nasty slap noise and certainly don't hit the outside yeah. of those shins because that's when it starts to really hurt, as you were seeing. And, and um, also, you've got to think of the rule set as it was back then. You could be kicked to the head on the ground. And so, again, yes. it's a, a little bit of a head scratch on why he chose to butt scoop up to uh, Sakuraba when you could potentially get Leaving himself the open for the head kick, yeah. wasn't he? And you started seeing Sakuraba look for that a little bit more at the end of that first round. And I did wonder how long it would be before one connects. And it wasn't long before, you know, my wonders come to light in that second round because uh, after a little change on the feet where Hoyler was just doing what Graces do, they try to sort of knee stomp, try to keep you away and look for the entry to try to get you to a ground situation. He was eating up some horrible, horrible leg kicks. Um, he ends up on the ground again in that butt scoot situation and, th and then that head kick lands. Um, I mean, lucky for Hoyler, it was with the foot and not the outright shin because I, I think this would have put an end to the fight completely other by cut oh, or complete God, knockout. Yeah. Um, but it was well, a you... foot, but it still didn't look very nice. No. Um, human human beings cannot take head kicks, uh, you know, when they're on the floor like that, mm. um, you know, of any note. They just can't. Um, mm. <clears throat> but going back to something you said, which I found interesting, not the only thing I found interesting, but one of the things which I uh, kind of picked up on was you said, um, you said about the Gracies not being conditioned to receive strikes because they don't train strikes. And yeah. um, as we noticed and said, you know, with um, last week with UFC one, is Royce Gracie won that fight, uh, won the whole tournament without throwing a punch standing up. Yeah. He threw a couple mm. like short jabs to the ribs during the grapples to to, yeah. to transit, you know, through his yeah. through the guard and stuff like that. But it was really interesting that when, you know, the, that was the kind of after watching last week, that was my first taste. Obviously, I've seen some of these before, but the mm. first taste for me of seeing a Gracie up against someone who they couldn't get hold of and who was, you know, a good striker. Um, so I'm looking forward to progressing through these various. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly uh, going to get interesting because yeah, obviously. Things evolved very, very quickly um, between, say, yeah. UFC, you know, one and UFC just six. So there was, you're, you're already seeing much more complete, much more aware 
MMAs that you would recognise stylistically to what you'd see today? Um, yeah. Mm. Um, so just to talk about the end of this fight, really, um, was there anything else you wanted to touch on? For that? Yeah, I mean, not really. Um, you know, Hoyler was forced to be on his feet a whole lot more than, than he wanted to. Um, and eventually, um, Sakuraba did go to the ground with Hoyler and got him in a Kimura hold. And uh, it, it, was, it was really hard to watch. Uh, I think it's only because Hoyler is not so muscled and, and is a slender, lightweight guy that he had the dexterity in his shoulder not for it to give away. Um, uh, when Sakuraba was doing that hammerlock, he, started, he, he got so much angle on it um, he started hitting into his own leg, which stopped him sort of completing the submission. But what, what I understand of the Kimura is um, whenever you're doing an, uh, a, a bent arm lock, um, Americana or, 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 or Kimura, something like that, the key angle is 90 degrees. Now, the issue you get if you increase the angle of 90 degrees is the arm begins to go straight and that, uh, the guy starts getting some uh, mechanical strength to straighten the arm. And obviously, you're no longer in a bent arm lock. Um, but if you start decreasing the angle less than 90 degrees, you start adding some more dexterity in the shoulder. Um, and if you look at the way he did that technique, he started to decrease the angle, which means he had to take the arm all the way up to the back of Hoyler's head. When really, if he wanted to get that completion, he should have just peeled his back off the, off the mat and just pushed the, uh, the wrist away from his back and not up towards the, the, the back of the head where it um, decreased the 90-degree angle. He should have maintained strict 90-degree angle and just pushed that wrist away from his back. Um, and, and, well, then he would have, what, he would have broke his uh, shoulder and elbow. He, he, would have, he would have wrecked the arm. Um, yeah, so why he didn't do that, I don't know. I don't know whether perhaps submissions back then perhaps weren't so as polished as they are today. Um, yeah. But I do feel like he could have put him away. But the ref stepped in and intervened. And I think the ref saw enough and felt like uh, Hoyler wasn't going to stop until um, major physical trauma. Um, was he right to stop yeah. it? Because Hoyler jumps up um, and clearly he was comfortable enough there. Um, he jumps up and there was nothing wrong with his arm or shoulder, uh, which is just shocking to me because, you know, it, it, it was really, really ugly looking it was really bent bent in a nasty yeah angle. it wasn't pleasant i no. guess it's do you it's, as a referee like do you wait for the arm to break or do you have uh, to yeah i mean save the fight these, yeah i mean these days um you know pro athletes or, or referees will let it go um i think you know once there's a, 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 a lot of fighters action, will just a lot of fighters will refuse to tap won't they and they'll yeah, go yeah, unconscious yeah. or they'll, um, they'll break. Yeah, but initially um, a uh, referee will let the break happen, then intervene. But they will leave it up to you whether you decide to take it that far. Um, that's the consensus. And refs will tell you that in the back room. You know, they will leave it up to you. Um, obviously, we're choked. It's got to be traumatic so, for fighters. I, I don't care what anyone says. You know how I know fighters. Fighters are a different breed, and they're mm. you know they're killing machines in a lot of cases. Yep. I that's got to be traumatic to for one for the person whose arm is broken or leg is yep. broken or whatever ankle's broken to have you know have it broken by someone in a hold. Yeah, know it's coming, and it for to for it to happen. You know, yeah. you're aware this is what's going to happen. But equally, mm. I think it's got got to mess with the head of the person who's doing it. 
Because in yeah. their head, they've got to be thinking, just tap, just tap, just tap, just tap. Yeah. And then it goes in your hands. It can't yeah. be nice. I know. Um, you know, you get different characters, don't you? You get some people quite narcissistic uh, who would think nothing of it to, to break your arm, um, to put you asleep uh, and hold it on. Even if the, you know, if the ref misses it, he's going to hold it on. You're going to get fighters that are like that, but then you're going to get some that you know are not not quite so brutal in their approach, and they see it more of a sport, um, and they're willing to take it as far as a break, and they will let go of the submission and transition to something else. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was never one for where where were you in where were you in that in um, those two sort of sides of the spectrum? I was always really quite stubborn. Um, in, and when I say stop, stop into the strikes, so I wouldn't give in to um, you know, the pain of being struck, if you will. But if I knew something's going to be consequential to my longevity um, as a functioning human, um, I, I would tap. Um, I got submitted just once in my fight career in Japan. It's what led me to start training jiu-jitsu. It was when I fought him in an area, I got submitted really, really quick. I was really out of my depth on the ground. I was pretty much just a striker predominantly at the time. Um, and, you know, I felt my arm go out and, you know, I could have, I could have, you know, put up with it and let damage go to my arm. But um, I never saw the fights as fights. I saw it as a sport. Um, it's as closely related to a um, street confrontation as you can get. And that's initially why I did it. And originally, I was only going to fight a couple of times just to test the skills I'd acquired in martial arts. So I never I never thought at that time that I'd really go through with being a fighter, although it's something I fantasized about as a young teenager. I really wasn't sure. I thought, oh, I just want to test myself and see how it goes. But then I really got hit with the bug and, um, and it, it went on from there. Yeah, so yeah, I would tap. Simple as that. Um, I'm actually watching the submission now. I mean, it's just so awful looking. It's really horrible. (laughs) I mean, how how he jumped up and everything was fine. I mean, there was no injury there at all. He put his arms up and he was completely fine. But I think the ref was still correct to to stop it. It goes to show the ref was... Around this time... This ridiculous um, injury. Around this time, this is where they started to give referees more power in terms mm. of protecting fighters and right. and actually stopping fights. Because I was re- I only know this because I was reading about it earlier. Um, mm. Obviously, in the early UFCs, one, two, three, I think, the, mm. the referees were basically told, just leave it. And we saw that mm. with the, uh, the, the sumo, rest, sumo wrestler last week, where he yeah. had his teeth knocked out when he was on the floor yeah. and he was unconscious, and they mm. just let it go. And it was his corner, which kind of got in the ring. Mm. Um Whereas, you know, eventually, like these days, I was watching, I came across a video earlier where um, it was an, at an amateur event in the UK. And mm. these two young guys were fighting. Um, and the guy knocks the guy down. He beats him with strikes. He, he knocks him out. But he just, he just the ref stops it. Mm. But he keeps, he has him in the ground a pound and he just keeps pounding on the guy. Mm. Um, as he's like semi-conscious and the referee's like in between him trying to push him off he can't right. he won't let stop striking him so the referee puts the the fighter on top in a rear naked mm. choke mm. Uh, to to as soon as you know as soon right. as the referee does that he stops and but the referees i think um they train in it themselves 
to you know so they know what they're looking for in terms of yeah. submissions and positions and stuff like that. But mm. I do think it's important that a referee can do something like that if needs be yeah. to yeah. defuse a situation or to stop a fighter after the fight is finished. Yeah, I've um, had a couple we have, of you know um, years a couple of times. Yeah, I've had a couple of really strange experiences um, being a referee for, for for matches, and one of them was um, okay. I was cornering for an a amateur match where you know when it's I think it was their first fight each that they they were having. Both had big crowds of people there. Um, you could see the nerves and tensions running through them, and they both come out absolutely going crazy on each other. And one guy got the other down into a mounted position. Both of them wasn't very proficient on the ground. So you had one raining down punches, um, literally just giving everything he's got, really rushing it, and, and it was all over the place, really um, not, not, not technical at all. But the guy on top ended up busting such a nut passed out in mount position and collapsed on top of the guy mm. he had mounted. Um, and that was a really unusual situation for a ref to, because I, I didn't That's know what the hell was going on. I'm like, what's going on? He's passed out. And it was a, a crazy situation. And one other situation I had, which was um, totally nuts, was we was having trouble shutting the cage door. Um, it, it weren't always slamming shut. It, it, the padding was getting in the way. Um, sometimes it was shut okay. Sometimes it weren't. And um, in between rounds, um, I had to go to the cage to help pull the cage door shut. And as I went to pull it, the two guys started fighting behind my back. Oh, it was an absolute surreal situation. Jesus. Absolute surreal. So I had to tell them both off, reset and restart the timer. Um, yeah, so I've had a couple of strange circumstances as a referee. I do feel for them as well. Referee's position is quite pressure orientated because you've got to make a decision yeah, then and there. now and you've got to stick by it as well you can't stop a fight and then say okay oh no i got it wrong start again yeah you've got to stick by it is and just you know, swallow the pill that you may have stopped it earlier may have stopped it late you just have to suck it up and learn by it and hope you evolve as a referee yeah and they um they're always wrong in the in the eyes mm. of you know of whoever either fighter or the, the media but They've got to make split second decisions, and they're you know, you'd like to think that they're always thinking of the fighter's safety and health as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And interestingly enough, we're going to go on to UFC two now, um, and this was the first time uh, Big John McCarthy was involved in MMA professionally or the UFC at least, um, and obviously he became one of the most influential uh, mixed martial art referees in the world. Uh, mm. You know, he designed the rules for the UFC and. You know, he's heavily involved in Bellator now, making them, uh, you know, a more uh, taking them, trying to take them to the level of the UFC. I think he's an excellent pundit as well, I've got to say. Um, right. But yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting to see him as a young, a young man in his first yeah. experience. And mm. actually, what you could see from it was he was uh, very. There was a couple of fights where he, you could see he felt like he should get between the fighters to stop it. Mm. But actually, all he was they'd been told to do was just put their arm away and say, mm. you know, the fight's over. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting, not just watching the, the, the standard and the techniques and the, the fights and the weight division, you know, the lack of weight divisions. But it's also interesting watching the referee, uh, the rules and, mm. and the way the referees interact change. Sure. You know, through it'll be really interesting as we get through these over the coming yeah. months uh, to see that. 
Um, okay, so we have. Um, I'm just going to bring up UFC number two. Uh, overall thoughts of the just the general program. Yeah, I think the initial thoughts was that the strikers were now aware of what the ground aspects were about, and they started to make adjustments to to try to put it in their game, not put it in their game where they, they're going to start, you know, shooting and taking someone down and putting it. They're still very much strikers, but they've got a little awarenesses. So if there's a head there, they know how to squeeze it in a roundabout right way. And um, and they had a little bit Just more balance about it. them. Yeah. And when, yeah. when someone's trying to engage and take them down, they had a little bit better balance. Whereas, you know, in UFC 1, when Hoist was shooting in, they, they were falling to their back. They had no sense of clueless, weren't they? Yeah, no sense of base. Um, they got taken down very, very easily. In this, they were you know, hopping around a little bit more. They had a little bit more awareness about them. Not in every case, in every fight, but but certainly you know people like Patrick Smith who had fought in the is previous the UFC. Is that the boxer? The the there was one who had fought in the previous one. Um, a That's right, guy. Patrick right. Smith. Yeah, and and, and Rhodes. They both had fought. Yeah, and he had um, obviously he was a very good boxer, but he had gone away and learned how to defend jujitsu only on a basic level. Yeah, but enough that when it went yeah. to the ground, he wasn't clueless, and you could see straight away mm. when it in one of his fights it went to the ground. Yeah, and he didn't look, he didn't panic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is you know, this makes a massive difference to not just yeah, yeah. The ability to fight, but also mm. I would imagine his confidence in fighting someone who's ju- more jujitsu based. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But we we went through last week uh, all the different martial arts involved in this tournament. Um, mm. The ninja guy did not do well. Uh, he no. got through the first <laughs> round, but uh, yeah. the second round was one of the most brutal fights of the whole tournament. Yeah, um, yeah. So. We'll go through the results. I was just trying to bring up the video so I could watch the finishes as I was talking. Just so they don't show the prelim, prelims or the no, they so talk through six, them. The, you do see a couple of them later on. You do, don't yeah, you? so there's basically uh, it's, sorry, it's a sixteen man tournament. Um, yeah. But the opening round they don't show. They just go through the results. Then they That's show right. the final match of the round, which is yeah, uh, Hoist Gracie versus. Minoku Ichikara. Yeah. Um, so that's the first fight we see, uh, yeah. which um, Royce Gracie wins via lapel choke uh, at the five minute mark. Yeah, was Royce it lapel Gra- choke? Royce Gracie. Uh, it says lapel, it's lapel choke on here, but yeah, I mean, that might no, be. No, I think, again, yeah, it, he was going for an arm bar, but he never yeah, even that's got right. to extend he never even got to extend, the arm. the arm, did he? Yeah, but um, it was a very easy takedown. Um, yeah, the uh, Hitchcarter tried to, to throw an inside leg kick. It, really, it was out of range. So he, his angle of his hips turned all the way around uh, to try to connect it. Um, <laughs> he kind of, yeah, just overcommitted it, really. He got himself taken down very early, got mounted very early. Um, you know, fair play to him. You know, he managed to hold on, um, literally hold on. He was trying to stop. Um, hoist rising up in that mounted position to rain down pan- punches. So he showed a little resilience, but there was nothing really counter-offensive going on, really. He was receiving body shots, some mild head shots, um, just being softened up by hoist. 
Um, and then there was an opportunity to try to bump Hoist off. Um, Hoist never really, uh, I think he could have just stayed in the mount position, but he transitioned um, and, and then started setting up that armbar as he tried to bridge Hoist off. Um, I think the guy knew he was out of his depth. Um, you know, well, do you know what I was going to say? As soon yeah. as he uh, transitioned from the choke towards the armbar, he did yeah. not even wait. Straight, no. straight away, mm. he grabbed, uh, he just tapped before he'd even extended his arm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which I found very interesting because... yeah. Tell you what was what was good about this show straight off straight off in the, the the opening scene was they had the stunt guy and when they had the stunt guy oh, when yeah. he first said oh he's, this is this is a, a stunt man or whatever yeah. he knows different I thought oh Jesus it's gonna be worse than I, last time I but thought actually, exactly the same thing he knew his stuff didn't but he? actually he was very very knowledgeable which yeah. was they lacked that in the first one they lacked yeah. someone who understood grappling and jujitsu and these other right anything outside of striking they didn't have a clue did they the yeah no one. he he understood um, he understood about it um i just have a look there you're saying it's a pelchoke because um i haven't looked at it in terms of the results i just watched the, the, the show and the event and um but yeah. looking it back um he was going for a lapel trick which i knew but i thought he let go of it and had two hands on the arm but he doesn't he has That's one right. so that he was tapping because of the choke yeah he okay. only has one so arm on his arm bar so it was a lapel choke but an armbar as well that could transition to. He kind of had it all going on there. The commentators thought it was an armbar as well because even they said, you know, oh, that he was very quick to tap. And I thought, because he didn't seem to have the choke right in, mm. uh, but obviously I'm assuming lapel choke involves the gi, does it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, it's not, not very nice having that pull tight around your neck, especially if you don't know what, how to get out of it. It must be a very, very suffocating fe feeling. And, uh, yeah, no Especially wonder he was not tapping. used to it as well. Not used yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, you know, it, it's, it's the same for a jiu-jitsu guy who's a ground specialist who's never done striking. When you've got someone coming at you, um, it ain't very nice. It's, it makes you panic. makes you feel rushed. makes you feel under pressure. Well, just the same for a striker when they're putting the ground and someone starts smothering you and all over your face and all around your neck. It's a suffocating yeah. experience. It's, it's, they got their hands all over your different your type of panic. Mm, mm. So um, yeah, so that, yeah. That's, that's why he, he tapped so quick then. Yes. Uh, so first, first, first bout we see is uh, the title holder Royce Gracie, uh, yeah. and he does not take long to put away uh, Ichikara, and uh, that's the first bout of UFC two. Um, not a great deal to that one. Like I said at the no. start of the show, I felt that the overall standard of uh, fighters was better in this one. You didn't really get to see that in this particular Yeah, fight. it's a shame because I would have liked to have seen that Ichikara fight one of yeah. the other strikers. I thought that he would have been quite one interesting. one of the favourites, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. It was um, a shame he got hoist so early on. Yeah, well, I think... Um, this was actually, uh, in terms of like the bookies, this was the 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 two favourites. Uh, yeah. But they obviously they got drawn against each other. Yeah. In the first first round, which is you know is such as tournament uh, format. Uh, the next fight we see was uh, Jason De Luca versus no, sorry, that's wrong. 
ignore me. Uh, no, Scott, uh, Scott Morris and Patrick Smith. That's right. Uh, so Patrick Smith defeated Scott Morris with uh, KO, by, via KO elbows after 30 seconds. Yeah. Uh, uh, remember I said to you, you know, I've got, I, I got this videotape out with the girlfriend uh, in 1994 or 1995, something like that. And, and, and when I, I saw it, that's when I realised, I think this is real. Um, because I was thinking I was watching a, a, a film. But when I saw, you, you, if you slowed it down, I remember having my videotape and, and rewinding it, looking back, and you actually see spl- blood spurting out from his face with the elbow strikes. And, um, oh, it's just, I remember it sickened me at the time. So I've never seen anything like it. Um, and, um, and this was the, the, the very fight that I showed my dad. And I just said, Dad, have a look at this. This is real. He goes, no, it can't be, son. I said, no, seriously, you've got to watch it. And when he saw it, he was he was flabbergasted and a little sickened by it as well. But, yeah, I mean, Patrick Smith just looked so brutal, didn't he? He had that dominant position and it, he just let it all go. Let it all go. Poor guy didn't stand a chance. No, he did not. Um mm. And actually, like I say, this was where you started to see the dif- difference in the standard this year for this 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 tournament compared to the first one. Because mm. I felt like um, outside of maybe one or two fighters in UFC 1, um, the the overall standard maybe, it wasn't that great. And then, yeah. you know, what you saw in there straight away was that, right, there's a couple of fighters, strikers, uh, grapplers outside of the Gracies who can can really do something here. Mm-hmm. Um, but are you noticing maybe, though, in, all, in all these early UFCs, you're 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 seeing no wrestlers come in for Hoist to go up against at this stage? No. Um, I, I think well, the first the few UFCs, fighters. yeah, and and they they were definitely you know trying to match it so that you know the the jujitsu was showing up against the systems that were going to be you know easy to expose and um, it would have been a whole lot more difficult to expose um a bigger and heavier wrestler um you know which we began to see in the, the ufc's as it progressed through the wrestlers started showing a bit of a a, a dominant force the wrestlers were kind of like the the stick in the spokes of a bike um they kind of like ruined all the systems in a way wasn't it there was really good spoilers of the ground guys was able to do crude ground and pound and use their they're really good base. Um, and of course, strikers couldn't stay on the feet with them. So, so proficient at getting it to the ground. So they're kind of like, they, they, they were sort of like, uh, yeah, just dis- dis- destroying everyone um, to a point. Um, and, and we're really showing dominant. I, I think it was around about UFC 7, UFC 8 and stuff like that, that you started seeing the wrestlers really t- sort of take hold and really start to show through. Indeed, you'd have to bear me a second because I've just lost the page with the results on, so I cannot go through what was next. What was the next fight? Have you got that in front of you? Yeah, yeah. Next one was at Rhodes. He, he, he had had the longest fight uh, in the you know, preliminary fights that we didn't actually get to see. Yeah. Um, he ended up having to get a stand-in fighter. Um, I'm just trying <laughs> to get the actual name. It was Fred somebody or other. Uh, is it Fred? Itch- it's or something like that. I'm trying to remember his name. Just trying to just trying to get him up now. Sorry, it was Fred somebody I, or other. 
It's just going to come uh, up. So, uh, Fred Eatish. so you had Johnny Rhodes defeating uh, Fred Eatish uh, via Eatish, submission. Yeah, it. it says uh, Bulldog Choke after three minutes. But yeah, uh, it's like, Johnny, yeah, Johnny Rhodes went 12 minutes in the first game. Yeah, that's first right, match. yeah. This is David Levicki, and he beat him via submission to punches. Yeah, um, but that's yeah. the longest fight of the whole yeah, tournament. Yeah, I mean, this, this guy, this Johnny Rhodes, looks like a halfway decent striker. You know, yes. he's, he's got reasonable form, definitely got good delivery of strikes. Um, and the guy he's up against was, a um, you know, a, a really traditional karate. Right now, Kashinkai karate guys that that they really are good strikers. And um, this guy was more more tradition, traditional in his approach to to the karate arts. Um, showed reasonable defence. Um, I think they were just feeling each other out. Their 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 ranges were perhaps a little bit different what they used to from each other. Um, but Rhodes had a really good counter cross punch. And clearly understood the counter game. Um, I think you know, anyone that's um, you know, got a counter game to their striking, understand striking to, to a reasonable uh, level. And, um, yeah. and, you know, he caught him. They, they went to the ground. Although they're both strikers, it, it ended up with Fred on the ground. Um, you know, I didn't know what he was doing down there. I mean, Johnny Rhodes didn't know what he's doing down there in the big, big scheme, but he was the bigger, stronger man. Um, he kind of was punching all over the place, hitting his shoulders, hitting his back, not hitting his face. <laughs> so he's wasting a lot of energy mm-hmm. there. Um, Do you think he was not hitting him in the face because he, he was, was this the one where uh, the guy was visibly hurt? And, yeah, no, no, that was, was a different fight. Yeah, Dick, not, yeah not this me. guy, this guy wasn't. Um, wasn't looking like he was going to be able to put up much of a fight. And, and Johnny Rose, he, he, no. you can tell by his character that he's not, he's not a complete brutish guy. He's not like Patrick Smith was in the previous fight. Um, but he just overpowered the guy, really. He was just, just, just bigger. Um, I think also you've got to remember that he'd already fought quite a long time with bare knuckles. So his hands were probably bruised up and scuffed yes. up by the time he's fought this guy. So he probably didn't want to be punching him around the school anymore. Um, having sore hands. Um, but yeah, he, he made pretty short work of him. He kind of got him in a schoolboy headlock. Okay, they called it a bulldog choke, which is the, you know, prep, more of a correct way of explaining it. I don't think he knew it as a bulldog choke. I think he was literally schoolboying the, the guy. Um, yeah. And just got around his neck and just squeezed hard as he could. He didn't have his legs particularly well positioned to, to, to put it on correctly. He just got hold of the guy's neck and squeezed. And the other guy had no clue how to get out and got put semi-conscious, really. Um, ref intervened and it was all... I think he did try to tap. Um, yeah, quite n- another short fight. Um, but you're now seeing strikers um, try and do the submissions on the ground. You know, This is yeah. how it was different from USC 1. Indeed. So um, I just go back to that Patrick Smith... Uh, Patrick Smith versus Scott Morris was that the first yes. one we talked about? Yeah. Um, yeah. Those elbows to the back of the head—they would obviously not be legal in today's. No, not uh, least, not now. Obviously. But uh, they were they were quite quite brutal. Uh, Johnny yeah. Rhodes, uh, which is the fight we were just talking about, he was the one who in the third UFC one looked a decent striker, but he got taken to the ground and submitted very quickly. Yeah. He came away. And it, yeah, you could see that even with this, you know, he choked someone out. Um, mm. Not, sorry, not Johnny Rose. Uh, Patrick yeah. Smith. 
Patrick Smith. I'm very sorry yeah. again, the two of them mixed up. You know, uh, Patrick Smith had gone away and worked on that groundwork, even if only a little, um, yeah. and which you'll see in the next round. Um, yeah. Johnny Johnny Rhodes as well. You know, Johnny Rhodes yeah. is a, a heavyweight karate guy who, yeah. you know, he won by a submission. So um, next up we had, was it Remco Pardol, the next one? Yeah, Remco Pardol. Uh, versus, um, versus Orlando. Orlando we White. Beat, yeah. Beat. Um, this yeah. was brutal. Yeah, it was nasty. I mean, nasty, brutal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this Orlando White, did you see the the, the clip of the, his previous round? Where, you know, when he elbowed the back of the head and neck of the the, the other guy that he was fighting. I mean, the, the, I think the guys have got some power, even though he was very small and slight. He had some some nasty power on those elbows. Um, so I remember when I was uh, you know watching this. You know, for the first time um, as a as a young teenager, I, I was really excited about this fight. But again, this is where size really really mattered. I mean, Remco Bardell was a big guy. I think something like six foot four, wasn't he? Two hundred fifty pounds, big big guy. Um, and Orlando was what, what I think was he built at one seventy pounds, maybe I, I think it was, but obviously considerably smaller. Five foot ten compared to six foot four, you, you've given away substantial stats. Um, and the takedown was quite interesting because uh, Rempico Bardet has done this takedown more than once. Um, he sort of like uh, had the guy around his back and sort of just done an arm and elbow throw. And I know judo guys um, do this type of throw, but I don't, I don't know what the name of it is. You have to forgive me. But basically, he just stopped um, Orlando with the arm that he was controlling, just stopped him able, um, him able to turn into him because he couldn't put his elbow to the mat. So he was stuck underneath uh, Rempo Bardell. Um, he was really stuck firmly on his back. He was trying to do knees, trying to do kicks, trying to get access to Rempo Bardell's head, but it wasn't happening for him. He, he was just looked like a small bug stuck underneath someone's army boot. Um, and then Rempo Bardell got, in, got into a position where he got enough of his body weight onto him to open up a little bit of an elbow strike. And when he landed one, he could feel that he had good leverage on it. And it went one into a handful of elbow strikes. And Orlando's head was completely pinned to the canvas. And um, yeah, he, he knocked the guy out. I think they threw the towel in as well. But it was already too late. It was completely out unconscious. Nothing hugely technical. An interesting takedown. Um, an interesting type of pin. Um, and some brutal heavyweight elbows. Yeah, and I mean, this is, like you said, the, where the size difference really pay, came into play because once he was on top of him, he literally just held his wrist. He had wrist, held his, controlled his wrist and his elbow yeah. across his own waist. That's right. Um, and then just used his massive weight difference, sat on him, mm. held the head, did not. And I'm just watching it back now. A couple of times, uh, Viet tries to pull away his arm and straight away he puts the arm that he actually ends up elbowing him in the face with straight back on the elbow to hold it in place. Yes. He, that's he's right. very conscious of that. Um, yeah. He, he knew he had control. And then mm -hmm. like you said to me off air, when we discussed the show, um, when he hits that first elbow from the top and he realizes, Oh, that's his face. Um, yeah. And his head's against the mat. He's got nowhere to go. His arms controlled with his, yeah. uh, with uh, Remco's left hand holding his wrist. And yeah. he's pulled his arm across him. So he just like sat on top of him. One, oh, there we go. And then it's three, four, yeah. real hard, quick, 
powerful elbows straight to the the eyes. Yeah, they were they, they were they were they were fast. I mean, um, Rembrandt was quite You're talking from fresh. heavyweight to uh, what? What weight Jack and Viet was? Well, is... he looks like a featherweight, doesn't he? He's, he's yeah, tiny in comparison. I think it said one seventy pounds, but uh, it'd be lucky if he's even that much. He, he looked really tiny in there. And to be fair to um, Remco, after he hit the third elbow and the guy was uh, unconscious, he he did it one more, but he kind of like it was like a half-hearted sort of one. Yeah. And then then he holds the wrist so the guy can't hit him, and says to the mm. to the referee, you know. He's out, and then yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. in the towel as well. You know, and he could have done yeah. some serious damage with those elbows. So I think he yeah. deserves a certain amount of credit for yeah, not, Remco not Bodell, just, you know, continuing. You can tell to... he was a you can tell he was a nice guy in the interviews afterwards. I mean, he was saying that he didn't expect to win um, that fight. Uh, um, you know, he's just going to go into next round and just try to win. Um, he yeah. was no, he no, was under no illusion that he was the best there necessarily. He was just going to go in there and try and win. Um, absolute sure. nice guy. He wasn't. He, yeah, he was not in it to to be nasty uh, to be um, you know nasty to anyone. Um, he just did what needed to be done. And yeah, you're right. When he knocked him out and was you know aware that he he had knocked the guy, he didn't want to dish out any more in punishment and look to the ref to stop it. Um, but you know, with that takedown, um, he, you know what he wanted from that takedown was a scarf hold. Um, I mm. think he was probably you know wanting to submit this guy. So for ultimately. people who don't who don't know what that is, what's a scarf hold? Um, a scarf hold is where you have control of your arm around the head and around the back of the neck, um, and you have one arm in. Um, uh, it, you know, it can be a really solid control. It's a little hard to do it on someone who's really proficient on the ground. Um, you know, they know how to scoot their hips out and make it hard for you to pin. But with the weight advantage Rempo Patel had over Orlando, um, had he got the scarf hold, um, Orlando wouldn't have been getting out of that because that's an even more dominant position than he had that had there. Really, the kind of position that Rempo Patel had there against someone his same weight, he wouldn't have continued to have control. But with the weight advantage as well, um, it was just too much for Orlando. But, yeah, I really believe he wanted the scarf hold, was unable to attain it, and, and really just discovered that, oh, there's an elbow shot there. Um, and then mm. once he found a home for it, um, he just kept repeating the process. Yeah, and he was knocked the F out. He was gone. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Remco, the nice guy Pardell, yeah. we'll call him from now on, uh, he goes through to the semifinals. Uh, next up was Hoist Gracie versus Jason DeLuca. Um, Jason DeLuca, I think, fancied his chances in this fight. Uh, he yeah. Didn't, he did yeah, not yeah. win. Yeah, yeah. He's a young, um, he went on to fight in Pancras and that. He ended up fighting people like Bass Rutin and um, become quite a well-rounded fighter. Um, he's more of a Kung Fu stylist. And if I, I, I'm you know, not mistaken, um, I think there's footages of him going to the Gracie camps for the open challenges um yeah. i think he fights some of the graces there um you know actually at the gracie venues there's some really grainy um tape footage um, um you know you could tell he's a young lad very fit tenacious um he, he, um sorry just not aware you. of the ground arts mm. he uh he fought in the ufc three times uh okay yeah he fought in ufc one he lost he won 
uh, UFC 1. He, yeah. UFC, he fought twice in UFC 2. Then he, he fought in many uh, Pancras mm. uh, events. So he had a, you know, yeah. a pretty... Uh, yeah, you know, not a, by any means a incredible career, but he had a you know he, mm. uh, so his his final record was fifty fifty five fights, thirty three wins, twenty one losses. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, it's pretty just under fifty percent, really, isn't it? Um, yeah, 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 but, yeah. Not a it, terrible record, is it? No, um, you got to remember a lot of those losses come when you know he had no ground skills whatsoever, but he ended up becoming an okay ground guy. Um, you know, he'd become an all-round fighter um, during his career. Um, mm. You know, it's a lot of fights, a lot of fights to have. <laughs> yeah, he actually, uh, he was submitted 13 times in the uh, 55, and he won right. 13. He, but he won 13 by submission as well. Right. So he obviously yeah, yeah. went on to to really uh, improve his his ground game substantially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Chris Gracie. Uh, I think it was an arm lock, this one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was um, another really nice transition from, from, from Hoyce. Um, it was actually uh, Dresden Delucia who, who threw him to the floor. They sort of like, I think Delucia would have liked to have been striking. He sort of looked like he was going to do a jump inside kick, kind of got smothered. Um, they clinched up together. Hoyce is not bothered whether someone wants to engage and throw him down or not. So he didn't, it didn't look like he even was bothered that he got swung off balance a little bit. He didn't try to fight his base and balance and was happy to, to go to his back and very, very quickly worked from kind of like a half guard. Um, started trying to work around the, the backside of Delusia. Um, you could tell Delusia didn't really have the right idea. He didn't hold a whiz around the arm. He didn't try and set his base back and got overturned very, very easily um, and then saw him in a mount position. But he's young and really athletic. Um, he was really bucking. He wasn't being a, a sitting target. Um, he was showing some fight. But as he bridged out, very, very similar to what happened to the um, Ichikaru, um, bridged out from the mount position, but of course exposing his arm uh, and the arm was on. Now, <laughs> the poor guy was, was tapping hoist a good number of times the referee, yeah, the referee was, was on the wrong aware. side, wasn't he? Yeah, he was not, not too on it. Um, then he had to tap the mat in, in vision of the referee. Um, well, I think he had his arm a little bit hyperextended by the time he stepped in. But again, this is a whole evolution yeah. process for the referees. We know um, Big John McCarthy is an incredible referee, one of the best there's, there's been and is today. Um, but he was still learning his trade probably at that point. Um, yeah, Delusi was holding his arm a little bit. Uh, after that, yeah, I was going to say he's uh, having a little hold of that. Yeah, we're just seeing Hoist again make short work of people. Um, he's getting it to yeah. his realm very, very quickly and um, doing what needs to be done to advance the next round with as much energy and um, as least amount of damage as possible. Indeed. But the final was with, you know, yeah. Um, oh, no, it wasn't a final. It was the next semi final, wasn't it, with uh, so, yeah, Patrick Smith and, and Johnny Rhodes? Yeah. yeah so semi finals were. Patrick Smith versus Johnny Rhodes and Hoist Gracie versus Remco Pardol. Uh, yeah. So I think it's the the Smith Rhodes fight first. Yeah. Correct. Um, yeah. I, I was enjoying this one because you got two two obviously strong, dangerous strikers. Yeah. Um, and then typically the fight finishes via submission. Yeah. 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 Because they're, they're becoming aware now. Yeah. Even yeah, it's really good, but. 
But Rhodes really impressed me with that counter cross hand again. You can tell he's got something on it, and there was exchanges some nice little leg kicks as well. Um, it's kind of like looking a little bit like an MMA striking bout that you would see today. You started seeing, um, you know, the way it was going to evolve into. But yeah, they had some nice little exchanges. No one over dominating on the other. Um, you 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 have to remember that Johnny Rhodes, had, you know, had a lot more cage time that day. Uh, than, than Patrick Smith did um, end up getting his head caught down low in a stood position uh, which is what we know now as a guillotine and um, yeah just uh, Patrick Smith didn't do it technically great he didn't have to he's a big strong guy got round his head and, and just and just lifted and Johnny Rhodes didn't really fight it he, he, he tapped quite quickly so, yeah, Patrick Smith moved on. I mean, Patrick Smith really was running through these fights really, really quickly, just the same as Hoist did. Yeah, and, you know, Patrick Smith went on to have um, a, you know, a, a proper mixed martial arts career. Yeah, um, not hugely him. successful. No, he had a no, lot no, of losses. To, yeah, but what I mean is he, he, you know, he actually went and fought, he fought in a couple of UFCs. He fought in UFC 6 also. He fought yeah. uh, against in Baz routines in the invitationals um right. he also was people michael ruiz as well michael ruiz is one of my favorite fighters back in the day he, he was to me one of the most complete fighters of the early period um i did not know that he had died uh he died in 2019 of cancer oh, patrick smith oh patrick yeah. smith did yeah oh wow okay i didn't know that wow um, he also went to prison for sexual assault. Right. But mm. uh, he also defeated Butterbean. Wow, I didn't know that. Go. Mm, cool. um, Butterbean yeah. did all right in the old MMA, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Uh, he had big. He's. Well, uh, someone. Who was it telling me? Someone was telling me about Butterbean being one of the hardest punchers mm. uh, in combat. Sports ever just right. in terms of power, yeah. Um, it was now, so yeah, he, he, had, he had a lot of knockouts to his name in boxing and MMA, didn't he? Yes, he did. Uh, so then after that, the other semi final was Hoist Gracie versus Remco, the nice guy, Pardo, <laughs> yeah. uh, who was choked out after one minute 31 by a lapel choke. Yeah, was this a lapel I went... choke? Yeah, I would have thought this would have gone a little bit longer. I just, uh, yeah, but, you know, Hoist did really, really good. Um, he shot they, him and got um, back really sorry. early. They, with them, this Remco Pardol, they, would, they were marketing him on the commentary as a jiu-jitsu guy. Um, yeah. Like a heavyweight jiu-jitsu guy. But mm. he didn't know, he seemed to know, you know, what he was doing in terms of grappling and controlling limbs. But I didn't mm. feel like he was um, anywhere near the standard of of Royce Gracie no. in terms of jujitsu. Now I know not many people are at that standard, yeah. but he just didn't seem anywhere. Uh, no, you know, maybe I'm being unfair to him, but just the yeah. fact that I... they, were, they were selling him as a jujitsu guy, I expected yeah. him perhaps to be a bit more accomplished. Yeah, yeah, um, I've trained both. Obviously, BJJ up to a black belt. Um, but years and years before, I um, trained a system called Spirit of Combat Jiu-Jitsu, which is basically traditional Jiu-Jitsu. 
Um, a little bit like how the ninjutsu was um, really it's designed for war and, and like real combat, if you will. Yeah. But it has to be really diluted to make it, um, you know, to make it work in, in, the, in the real westernized world. So it's um, really diluted down. And um, I progressed up and got my, my black belt in that as well. But, you know, what I can say about the jujitsu is that um, it is well rounded in its practice, but it is left very much in its practice form. There's not much in the way of sparring, not in much in the way of experiencing the techniques that you're learning in a live arena. So, yeah, yeah, Rembrandt Bardet was just a really big guy that would have had somehow, you know, a little, a little bit of know-how about the mechanics, but no real skill in the play to play it out. So, you know, traditional jiu-jitsu guys have a little bit of striking. They have a little bit of judo because they do have complete system. Um, so one of the things we would do is we'd drill someone coming at you with an overhand strike over a weapon or just a fist. You would block it, engage the arm, lock the body, do a judo type throw, a knee on the rib, strike to a pressure point in the neck and maybe an arm bar finish um, on the ground. So it was complete in its practice, but it was all drill and practice form rather than real play, real spar. Real sparring, yeah. Yeah, so I'm not surprised he was um, out of his depth on the ground. Um, Interesting. Really, he only had size going in his favour. Yeah. Yes, he, well, he certainly had that. He was six foot four, 250 yeah, pounds. Yeah, and 250 pounds. That's, that's a uh, big, yeah. big dude. He, interestingly, now, I don't know, I, I'm assuming he didn't have this back in 1994, um, mm. but he's got a second-degree black belt in jiu-jitsu, Black belt in right. judo, black belt in right. taekwondo, and fourth degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Right. Um, now I'm assuming that he didn't have those uh, qualifications. No, for the right yeah, he's, um, he's collected those on his on his journey. Yeah, but after, I think it was, I think it was after he fought um, Hoist that he went on to train Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. I see. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Got you. Um, now I'm not. I don't want to be disrespectful to him at all. You know, he he got to the semi-finals. He did very well. He was. Yeah. In, he he couldn't have been any more impressive in terms of what he did in the quarterfinals. He knocked his opponent clean out. Yeah. And Hoist Gracie is one of the the greatest uh, MMA fighters of all time. He changed yeah. the game, you know, for mm. everyone. And um, not many people came even close to beating him, let alone. Mm beat him so it's no shame in you know no, he was he him. was um, massively dominant what i find very very interesting about these lapel chokes is for to the viewers they just look like nothing oh no they're not <laughs> but, nice but they you could tell by the look on his face the panic mm. on his face that is a frightening experience but it looks yeah, like yeah. It's just you know, basically just doing that. Yeah. No, it's not but nice. Trust me. It, it's, it's um, way I believe it. 100%. Yeah. You got a member back, back in the day used to be um, executed with a noose around your neck. Um, these geese, they have a, a little bit of tubing. Um, you know, uh, sometimes it's like a rope that's inside the, the pals. Sometimes it's a, a rubber tubing, but, um, okay. you know, someone who knows how to do a choke, they, they, they would turn that out and dig it clean into the neck with uh, it's just once it's bed in you don't have a lot of chance to resist it you're either going to go asleep or you have to tap you you have two very very short 
fast choices to make. Um, is there yeah, that, like that, any way? Nice. How would you teach a student to to um, reverse it or get out of it? Yeah, I mean, always. Um, you're always a thing with any submission, not just lapel chokes. It's always um, antidote rather than cure. Um, you know, to, to, to cure yourself of an issue, you have to be going through some form of experience of it before you get better. So it's a little bit like, um, you know, if I if I start getting the symptoms of a cold into flu and I go to doctors to get antibiotics, well, I'm already going through the process of feeling sick. It just might make me get over it a little quicker. Um, yeah. So, you know, if you are in deep into deep water of a submission you know there are things you could do to resist them you know hot that you can wiggle out of it but really the ultimate thing is is to know how to um detect the preparation for a submission whatever that may be um you know I always say about the there's five key elements to any sweep strike or, or throw that you need to do so really you want to try to detect it in its first and, and and second implication so once they start grabbing the gi and then grabbing the other side of your collar you're now two stages in to potential five to complete the choke. You really okay. want to start defending it at that point. But there are things you can do when you're, say, at stage four and five of the choke coming in. And one of those things is if your lapel, I'm sort of demonstrating here, but if your, lemons, yep. uh, if your lapel gets pulled across your neck like so, one of the things you can do is put both hands on the uh, lower part and pull down so it's not cutting across the whole of the neck and try yeah. and allow some blood flow and oxygen still to go to your head. That is a survival technique. That's defending it at that stage five. Um, so it is possible. I mean, without getting on the mat and me demonstrating yeah, it course, with, a, yeah. with an opponent, I can't really explain it. But certainly people who have some kind of know-how um, in the grappling arts, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and I mean, when, um, when I come up to Northampton to see you all, maybe we could film a couple of... Uh demonstrations yeah yeah absolutely i think that'd be a great call because when i come up i'm gonna hopefully get some do a do a show in person with you and uh, yep. hopefully get a couple of uh video interviews maybe with some fighters and some people around your area if uh, there's a couple of footballers i'm hoping to meet up with like on my travels get some yeah, content yeah. and then um, sure. we'll film a couple of those demonstration videos because i think they're they're interesting to have, like, when we, you know, when we're breaking down different aspects of the fights. I say we, when you're breaking them down, mm. if I can refer people to, like, oh, there's, we've got a two-minute video or a five-minute video on the YouTube right. channel, which says, and Danny shows you, you know, what to do from this or how to do this. Sure, or, sure. And don't be so hard on yourself. You actually do a good job of breaking it down. Um, I've noticed each week you're becoming more aware of what's going on, and yeah, you're do doing a good job yourself. As my wife says, you watch enough of the bloody stuff, so you should be able to talk about it. So yeah, 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 yeah. You're doing good. I um, like I'm more. I feel like like I can hold a conversation about it, and I can talk about it. And if I'm not sure of something, I'll kind of defer it to you. Like I'm a bit mm. more confident in my technical analysis of boxing or striking than I am, mm. you know, grappling and stuff like that. Sure. Like yeah. I'm with grappling, I I'm aware of perhaps what some of the moves are and the submissions are and holds are, but maybe not necessarily like the technical side of it, like how to put them on or how to get out of yeah. them, and that sort yeah. of thing. And again, like you know, I'm not a professional fighter. I'm not a retired professional fighter, so 
that's where yeah. you're here for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it, it works good. You, you know, we get both get your perspective of things. Um, you know how how you 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 sort of see things, um, being a fan of it, and then you yeah. can obviously get mine. Which you know, just because I've got a lot more experience, and it doesn't mean to say I'm always always right. You'll always get people differing the opinions of what you say and I say. Um, but I can only give the best of what I think I know. And all I can promise is that I'm just doing it from the best of the knowledge and, and from the heart that I can. Um, that's all I can do. Um, Absolutely, yeah, man. We'll I think you a fantastic job, mate. And I'll say now, we don't always agree um, with the way rounds have gone when we're, you know, doing fight analysis. Yeah, sure. But that's that, that's the good thing. You know, you get the fan's perspective, which is yourself. You're you're, you're a real fan of uh, of it. You're not uneducated completely in it. You do do know what you're on about of sorts. You know what, you know, when someone's got an arm around the neck, you know it's a choke and um, yeah. you, you understand that your chin needs to be higher to be able to get the choke in um, and et cetera. Um, but of course, yeah, when we were watching a complete fight, you know, you might see it that one person's won it because it looked more aggressive. And then I might have to point out, well, yeah, it was aggressive, but only for one and a half minutes of the round. He was actually losing mildly for, for the three and a half minutes of the, the other portion of the round. So I don't think he won that. Um, so, of course, you know, but it's all courses for courses. I'm sure there's, you know, some other professional fighters that may have agreed with you uh, mm. more than they would have me. But, you know, that, that's that's the way it goes. Probably why the judging so equity-pickled because we do have all these differing opinions of what we see. Absolutely. <laughs> what... Um... What's your like your full full uh, full like list of like um, I don't know what the word is like expertise or whatever like black belts and jujitsu uh, okay. judo and... Uh, my f- yeah okay I, I mean this isn't in order because it's a m- many years ago now but um, I got black belt in taekwondo um, uh, shinsen jutsu which was under Lee Asdor, which is like an MMA system um, spirit combat jujitsu. Uh, which was the traditional jiu-jitsu I was talking about, obviously Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, and, uh, you know, like kickboxing, Thai boxing. Um, and then my own system, which obviously I've got a black belt in because it's my own system, yeah. um, which we've initially called it um, uh, M- uh, MMA DNA. Um, so we created our own sort of like a um, syllabus system to get to a black belt yeah. in that. Oh, cool. So what's That's that, cool. five or six? Five or six, yeah. but uh, uh, black belts don't really, they do, I don't want to say they don't mean nothing to me because of course they do. But, you know, you can have someone that's a black belt and you can have someone that's a lot less a, a belt to feed that person in a real fight scenario. It doesn't yeah. actually, you're only as ever as good as you truly really are um, and, and not that the fact that there was a belt around your waist. Um, but that said, obviously I am proud of my achievements, um, but I also know that um, just because I've got five or six black belts, it doesn't mean someone with one black belt can't defeat me in a real fight because they might be 20 years younger, 20 kilos heavier, etc. That has to all be put into it. Yeah, there's too. so many um, aspects to a fight, isn't there? And, um, yeah. You know, and that's what makes MMA so special is that it's... You know, and you see it, I think, in many ways, you see it more in these old tournaments where it's mm. martial art versus martial art in many ways, more yeah. so than see perhaps in the the current stuff which is it is still mma but it's an overall sport rather yeah. than you know back then it was very much 
karate and they marketed it as such as well wasn't it mm. so like that fight we were just saying then it was karate versus karate and yeah you know all these different uh, different aspects different mm. courses for courses i guess um anyway we 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 digress we were i took us off on a tangent there as i often do often do i take us all all over the place mm-hmm. um so the final the uh, Royce Gracie versus Patrick Smith uh, yeah. Gracie won via submission punches. Yes. Uh, after winning 17. Yeah. Wow. Punches from the Gracie. Yeah, yeah. Punches, but not from the feet. Let's not um, <laughs> get any delusions about <laughs> what happened in the fight. You know, Gracie was still doing what Gracie should do. I think he was saving his fists for the final. I think that's why you didn't see him throw that many um strikes to the head in the preliminary rounds. I think he was saving it all for the for the final. Um, he engaged very quickly with Patrick Smith. But, you know, when I was saying, you know, it, you can definitely see a bit of evolution there. Rather than get bowled down straight to his back, he's got some awareness of keeping his base and did yeah. fight the takedown attempt. And you've got to remember, Hoyce ain't no great wrestler, but he still will have lots of tricks to his game to, to get it into his arena. Um, did eventually right. get it down. Yeah. Sorry. I was just going to say when um, when he f- very first took him down uh, yeah. straight away, Patrick Smith uh, locked up Hoist Gracie's leg with his legs. Yes, which I found done, really yeah. really interesting that he was he had that know how to do that straight away to try and reduce the you know the chances of he didn't want it, he didn't just give yeah. Hoist free reign of his body. Whereas in UFC That's one, right. every time Hoist Gracie went to the floor. He just basically yeah. had a free free run at every he every did. fight of the yeah. body. Whereas yeah. this time, um, it, yeah, you know, it only took a minute, but he had to work for it a bit harder. Yeah, so you can tell there was there, there was something people, in Patrick's game, wasn't there? You could tell yeah, there was something so, in his game previous, you know, six months before. But it was only six months of prep that he could put for the ground, course, and, and yeah. ain't going to match no no black belt on the ground. And, um, you know, Hoyce got what he wanted. He, he went from the half guard into the mount in quick succession, um, landed a few punches and, um, and Patrick Smith wanted none of it. Um, I think he just knew. And you know, he was really respectful. He held um, Hoyce's arm aloft. Um, yeah. and, and like you say, you know, Patrick Smith went on and, and had quite a full career in, in MMA. And um, yeah, did. just sad to hear that he had died. I mean, that's, mm. that's pretty sad. It is, yeah. Um, so, so next week we'll be moving on to UFC three. Uh, so yep. I've just pulled that up just to have a look, and uh, it's the first. I will spoil a little bit of it for people. It's the first one that Hoyce Gracie is not in the final. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, and it's not because of uh, what you might think. In terms yeah. of, oh, I remember this because uh, uh, this was the next video I got out of that video shot. Once mm-hmm. I saw that and I saw the UFC three, I got yeah. I was like, hey, let's get this one out. So uh, <laughs> as is tradition from last week, I'm going to tell tell us who's in it, tell us uh, their uh, martial art, and you could tell us a bit about what the martial art is. Uh, so we've got Keith Hackney, who mm-hmm. is American Kenpo. Yeah. American Kempo, so that's a little bit like um, a mix of both um, Kung Fu style with your arms, if you will, and um, karate with the kicks. So it's, it's kind of a, a mixed blend. Okay. 
Um, and then he faces off against Emmanuel Yabra, who's a sumo wrestler, which is obviously, we know that. Yeah, self-explanatory. Uh, Ken, Ken Shamrock is a shoot fighter. We, we're familiar with Ken. Uh, yeah. Christopher Lelinga is a judo, judoka. Yeah. Uh, Harold Howard, uh, who is a something which I cannot pronounce, some, type, some, some style of karate. Uh, so when I look at that, it says hard, soft style. Um, I yeah. can't pronounce it. There was go, goju, goju Roy, maybe. I don't yeah, know. probably maybe goju karate. Yeah, that's the goju yeah. yeah, it's like a you know a, a full contact karate style, almost like a full contact kickboxing style with, with that tr- a traditional element to it. Okay. Uh, yeah, so not like a, a not not a kickboxer in, in in the complete sense like this. Um, yeah, but they were throw punching kisses. They just have a different stance. Okay, um, and then you have uh, Roland Payne. He's a Muay Thai fighter. Um, yeah. Obviously, Muay Thai we were familiar with. Uh, Royce... A very appro- appropriate name as well, Roland Payne. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice fight uh, name. It is a good one, that isn't it? Uh, Royce Gracie. And Kimo Leopold, uh, Leopoldo, I apologize, yep. uh, who's Taekwondo. Um, so nothing, oh, uh, I don't know where I missed that one. Felix Mitchell seems to have appeared from nowhere. He must be a substitute. Uh, yeah, was he? Who is uh, Shao, Shao, Shaoling Quan? Okay. I might not be pronouncing that right, but right. it appears to be Shaoling Kung Fu. Oh, okay. Um, mm. But uh, the word that they've used for it, I can't pronounce Shaolin Quan, right? But it's some some sort of some form of of kung fu. Um, and we also have uh, a sub, uh, Steve Jenham, who is an in ninjutsu. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember him, Steve Jenham. But I'm not gonna not gonna go into any other detail and spoil the uh, save that people go watch UFC 3 this week. And um, what did we do for time? So we did one and a half hours. Um, okay. So so next week, uh, myself and Danny were planning on watching the Royce Gracie versus uh, Sakuraba fight from Pride 2000 as a follow-up to the uh, Royla Gracie fil- uh, fight, which we watched, obviously watched this week. Um, but someone also sent in a suggestion that we do uh, I forgot what it was. Um, Joe Kazagi versus Roy Jones Jr. Uh, so I don't like the shows to go over sort of one hour, one hour 45 to two hours. I, I prefer them to sort of stay under that. Um, but we've done this in an hour and a half, and we, you know, we could have done it in maybe 10 minutes shorter if we needed to as well. So I think we'll do both fights, we'll see how it goes. If it goes too long, then we'll in future we'll keep it to the the UFC event plus one fight. Um, just checking if the full fight is available on YouTube. If it's not, then we'll have to use the kind of the write ups and the full highlights, um, my friend. But yeah, so they will be the fight. People, yeah, you can be able to find them somewhere. Um, yeah. So for people who are looking, uh, this on YouTube, yeah, full fight, yeah. Um, so yes, so people who are going to watch, you know, watch the events and then watch the podcast or listen to the podcast, um, it's Joe Calzaghe Jr. from two thousand. Uh, Joe Joe Calzaghe versus Roy Jones Jr. 
from the 8th of November 2008. The full fight's available on YouTube and UFC 3 plus uh, Hoist Gracie versus Sakuraba from Pride 2000. Uh, and just make sure you watch the Royce Gracie, not the yeah. Royler Gracie fight. And uh, we will break them all down next week. Um, just to finish off, Danny, we had one question sent in from someone today. Uh, they said, with Jack Shaw and Nathaniel Woods going back and forth on Twitter, do you think did we'll see this fight in the UFC? Should the UFC make the fight? And if they do, who would win and why? Um, yeah, I do think the fight should go ahead. I think that would be a really good one. Um, I, I would like to see that. Um, and um, I already know which direction you're going because we discussed this off air yes. before. So um, I, I would say I'm going to... And I love both fighters, and, and it really is hard to say who would win, in, in all honesty. Um, but um, I, I would go Nathaniel Wood quite simply because I think he is going to have a little bit more experience now after having the defeat that he had as well. Um, I, I think he's an intelligent, adaptive fighter, and I think it will just make him a little bit more um, seasoned than Jack Shaw. A little bit more experience. Okay. Um, I disagree. I, uh, I okay. think that Jack Shaw will win. Uh, I mm -hmm. think Jack Shaw has got a, just an all-round game that I think mm -hmm. Nathaniel Wood would struggle to deal with. Um, whilst Nathaniel Wood is an exceptional fighter, um, I just think Jack Shaw is too good um, in terms of his striking is excellent, his grappling is excellent, yeah. his wrestling is good. You know, everything is top notch. Um, mm. And there's a reason why Dana White singled him out when he signed as the next kind of mm. the next big thing from the UK for the UFC. Yeah. He doesn't do that for. You know, every fighter he didn't course, do that for, yeah. say, Brett, Brett Johns or someone else. You know, and I just use Brett as mm. an example. But what I mean is, when they sign fighters from the UFC, uh, from the UK, they don't necessarily, you know, come out and say they're the next big thing, etc. Yeah. Et yeah, I mean, uh, there, there is a reason uh, for that. Jack is not just hype. Yeah, no, um, they're both absolutely capable of uh, beating each other. Um, they've just got to get their game going the right direction um, uh, uh, to win it, and that's going to be the battle, right? Um, yeah, I, I hope that fight happens. I think that'd be great. I think yeah, that'll create a lot of uh, interest, fight. especially with what, what's been happening with a little bit of talking going on. It gives you a little bit of backstory to it. So there's always uh, a nice little, not a nice little twist to add into a fight. Oh, yes. Uh, and that's what you want is a nice bit of edge. And I don't mean that, you know, in any way disrespectful to Nathaniel. Um, Nathaniel Woods, an excellent fighter. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, I know Jack, um, which doesn't play into my decision whatsoever. But, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're both great there's, fighters. There's, there's a reason why both fighters are so highly rated. Um, mm. I think if they do. You know, I, for, the, for everything I've heard from people who I know and everything I've read, they want to put the UFC uh, London card back on the right. second they, they, you know, the, as soon as they are able to put it on, they right. want to put it back on, which this would be an exceptional 
you know, even if you didn't want to put it as like a, a co-main event or something like that, mm. just a, a middle of a card, absolute banger. Um, I think this would be, you know, superb. Absolutely. And, and I think and what UFC about, London uh, would be the perfect place. And, and we need something exciting in the pipeline because the Khabib fight is off, isn't it? Yeah, it was always going to happen. I mean, Khabib and Ferguson, the... it's never going to happen, mate. Never, never going to happen. I mean, is that the fifth time or something, isn't it? Is yeah, it fifth? fifth or sixth. Oh, I mean, wow, this is ridiculous. I mean, how can global virus get in the way? Yeah. Um, look, I gotta say, um, I thought I, I had already in my head, I was it was already off to me because as soon as they started saying about moving it to different countries and all this sort of stuff, number yeah, one, grabbing at straws. Well, number mm. one is Khabib has proven over the years that he's not necessarily the easiest to deal with in terms mm. of moving fights, organizing yeah. fights. And you're telling me that you've got to try and rearrange this fight to a different country, but you don't know which mm. country yet. And and then when you factor in the travel bans and all this sort of thing, it's never going to happen. Mm. Um, I personally don't not entirely convinced that Khabib will ever fight again. I think he's got yeah. one eye in retirement, and I think that's a dangerous game. Uh, if you've got yeah. fighters, I think Daniel Cormier suffered with that a little bit in the John Jones, the mm. second fight. He had in his mm. head, he had, and he had said publicly, I want to fight um, Stipe, I want to fight Jones, I want to fight one more, and then I want to retire. And yeah. I kind of just, in my, to me, and you know, I'm not a fighter, I think that's a dangerous game. And I mm. think Khabib is the same, he's sort of got one eye on retirement. And I, I don't I think, think so too. I don't think he's got a massive. I don't think he's desperate to fight Tony Ferguson mm. Mm. in any way. No, I I kind of get the feeling too. We could be completely wrong, but um, yeah, yeah I, I sometimes wonder whether we'll ever see him fight again. Um, I also think that Tony Ferguson will beat him. Um, I also mm. think that the one fight we might see is Conor McGregor rematch just because yeah. he does not like Conor McGregor. And I yeah. think that motivation might be the difference between retiring and, right, one more. Yeah. And it's also, you know, it's going to be the biggest selling fight in history. Mm. That helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I do think we'd see a better, um, better prepared Conor McGregor. McGregor as well. Oh, yeah. Because um, he had had a long time out from the MMA training. Yes, um, he's obviously been training boxing, and it's been a long time for him out of the cage. I watched the Cerrone fight again the other day, and um, I know it was right. only like a minute, a minute long or something, mm. but he looked like Conor McGregor from years ago, who fought yeah. uh, Aldo and Alvarez, and and uh, you know all the Chad Mendes and all these guys who he like systematically took apart, whether yeah. on the microphone before the fight and then. In yeah. the octagon, just yeah, his, he seems, his angles he's got that, and his striking. He seems to have the deft touch. That's the only way I can describe it. He just seems to seems to always find people's off switch. Yeah, he's got and, he's, um, it's the angles he creates. I think is um, yeah one of the one of the strongest parts of his game. He creates weird angles to everyone else. Yeah. Um, and he just he, he it's like he's got lead in his gloves and his feet. He just when he yeah yeah. When he touches people with that left hand, 
it does damage if not finishes yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's very, very precise. Shoulder as well uh, now as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's but, he's getting more and more creative. He's adding more tools to his game, more weapons. I I just want to see even if Khabib beats him again, I want to see that Conor McGregor versus Khabib yeah. because I want to know. Yeah. Because I said straight after the Khabib fight, I said that Connor was so worried about or in his head or and even John Kavanaugh has said since, like they were so worried, they were so focused on Khabib and mm. what he could do that they didn't do the normal things that they would do. Right. Like Connor McGregor's yeah. done all his career, yeah, creating those angles and counter shots, and he never got going. So I'd yeah. love to see it. Love to see it. Whether yeah, we will, I'd also like to see Khabib uh, Ferguson versus McGregor. I'd also yeah. like to see Gaethje versus McGregor. I think it could be an absolute. Yeah, all of them fight. exciting matchups. Gaethje yeah. versus Ferguson. Oof. Oh, I mean that—that's like a dream. That's like a Blood dream as well. Yeah. I had a dream the other night that um, Tony Ferguson fought Max Holloway. Okay, Ooh. if that happens moment. now, that'd be a bit. That'd be a bit odd. Yeah, I just it was weird. I just had a random dream, but like, I think that could be you know an absolute banger. Um, I really wish uh, Holloway hadn't gone up a weight because he lost, didn't he? When he went up, he weight. did. Yeah, who, who did he fight? Um, oh, was it Poirier? Mine's, mine's gone blank. Yeah, I think it's so. Poirier, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I wish he hadn't gone up away to try and. Um, I think did he go I up think away he was feeling. Uh, yeah, I think he was. Thing? Yeah, I just think he was feeling uh, unstoppable. He was un- looking so convincing all the time as a featherweight, and I think he just felt so confident to go up away. And, no, he lost. Um, to, uh, so he lost to yeah Dustin Poirier, I think. Yeah. No, he lost his belt to Volkanovski. Yeah, that's his featherweight belt. But when he went up a weight, he fought boy. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. And yeah. I, that's right. Yeah, he went up and fought. fought, he fought uh, so he beat Brian Ortega in that yeah. bloodbath where yeah. they got the record for the most amount of strikes in a one in four rounds. Um, yeah. The next fight down of all time is like f- more than 40 strikes. And that was right. over five rounds. And that was him as wow. well. Um, yeah. So just from the output. Then he lost. He went up away and fought Poirier, lost. Um, and I think that's the one that kind of because before that, he looked, yeah, he looked unbeatable mm. before that. Um, yeah. Then he beat Frankie Edgar, which you know, I don't. He's on his way out a little bit. Whether we disrespect put to Frankie, but he's not mm. what he was. Um, no. And then he lost going up uh, his featherweight belt to Volkanovski. Whereas I feel like if you take that Poirier fight out of there, is that what caused him to maybe lose a bit of yeah, that? Yeah, could have invincibility. Been. It's hard to really know. I mean, Holloway's well, still real young, so yeah. Before that, though, he was looking. They would look like they were starting to set up the Conor McGregor rematch because he, looked, yeah. you know, Holloway had looked so invincible and he'd beaten yeah. Ortega. It's like, oh, I mean, here we go. I, it, it, I mean, what I would like to see, because McGregor's sort of coming back and getting his groove, um, seeing him fight 
Holloway would be really quite good. I mean, it'd have to be done at lightweight. I don't think Conor McGregor is got it in him. No, but that would certainly be a good fight. Um, it would really re-establish Holloway at that weight again. Oh, um, only yeah, yeah, and um, but if Conor McGregor beats Holloway for the second time at another weight, um, it just consolidates. Yeah, consolidates uh, McGregor even more so. But the, if McGregor was to beat, say McGregor beat Holloway, you know, a lightweight or whatever, and he beat him convincingly in mm. like a first first round victory, does that mm. do more damage to Holloway? Than a victory over McGregor would do him good. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, and I think it. I, I think it really. It, it'll put put out the spark that's barely come aflame for McGregor to then lose again. I think it would be devastating for Conor McGregor's return. Yeah, because um, he beat McGregor. He beat McGregor, uh, He beat Holloway. You know, years ago, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, right yeah. At the start of the well, UFC he was. Run. He was. Yeah, he was taking Holloway down and. He, yeah, he totally he beat dominated. Him on decision, didn't he, in 2013? Yeah. But I don't think he'd be able to, you know, I think he's still capable of beating Holloway, but not so convincingly as he did. Um, yeah. But, you know, can Holloway perform as good as we know that he can up at that weight? You know, it might be that that, that lightweight division just ain't for him. So, that, you know, maybe it just won't suit him. Yeah. Um, it's difficult to say, isn't it? Without. Yeah. But he didn't look. He didn't look what he had been when he went up to lightweight. Yeah. But I don't think we can take anything away from Holloway or Volkanovski. Volkanovski absolutely nailed the strategy for someone with a short body composition like he did to to hit the legs um, in the flurries and and kick at the legs and come out. And um, obviously he's a really fit guy as well. Um, it was a, an excellent performance and an excellent fight as well. So yeah, I mean, there's just so many elite, amazing fighters. I don't. I think it'd be hard for them to guarantee to win time and time again. That's why kind of you got to take your hats off to Khabib, stand unbeaten amongst the pool of fighters that are in these weight divisions now. I mean, yes, it's, it's an absolute pit of lions, it really is. Oh yeah, it's, there's like killers everywhere, and they're just mm, mm. and exceptional talent. Um, yeah. The other thing I was interested in, I don't know if you'd be interested in doing, um, oh, I'll speak to you actually when we finish um, yeah. about that. Uh, so, guys, thank you for tuning in and joining us. Join us next week for UFC number three. And we'll also be talking Joe Kazaki versus Roy Jones Jr. And Royce Gracie versus Sakuraba from Pride 2000. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can send your questions in to all the usual places. we got got... Um, at acecast underscore nation at, on Twitter and Instagram or facebook.com slash acecast nation or just leave the comments in the box below this video and uh, you can find all the audio versions of all our shows and uh, the usual places Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, that sort of thing. Thank you for joining us, Danny. Thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure as always. Yeah, thank um, you, Simon. Thank you for listening to to tap in and listen again. And uh, we'll see you next Wednesday for another show. Cheers, guys. Yeah.
Podcast Network.